This is the Homestead Journey Podcast, the podcast dedicated to the pursuit of self-sufficiency, self-reliance, and sustainability. This is episode number 100 of the Homestead Journey Podcast. Can you believe that, folks? Episode 100. Now, to be fair, we've actually been together for more than 100 episodes, right? I've put out a few bonus episodes. I did the five-minute Fridays. And so when you add all that together, we've been past the 100 mark for a while. But this is the 100th regularly scheduled episode of the Homestead Journey podcast. And quite frankly, I mean, at the end of the day, it's just another episode, but it is fun to hit that milestone. And so I do celebrate that. And thank you very much for being a part of this journey. When I started this, my dad asked me, he said, Brian, how long are you going to do this for? And I said, well, dad, I'm going to do it as long as I feel like I've got something to say. And I still feel like I've got something to say. Maybe you feel differently, but if you're still listening, probably you would agree. (laughs) But I do want to say thank you to each and every one of you that has supported me. Many of you have reached out to me and expressed your thanks for what I do. You've provided words of encouragement. Uh, Some of you have reached out with questions. And I just want to say thank you to all of you. Uh, If you download this podcast and you listen to this podcast, that encourages me. And so thank you so much for being a part of this journey. My name is Brian Wells. I am coming to you from 3B Farm and Homestead here in beautiful upstate New York. Folks, it was a busy week here on the Homestead. And so without further ado, let's head on over to this week's Homestead Happenings. So this is the time of the year, folks, when it's a lot about the garden, right? Garden, garden, garden. And this week for us was no different. A lot of it this week for me was uh, a a lot of tomatoes, um, pulling tomatoes and bringing them into the house, coring them and putting them into the freezer. And I described my process and the rationale behind that on last week's episode. So certainly not going to spend a lot of time talking about that this week, but just to say that my tomatoes are really starting to come into their own. Now, this week, I also did have a couple of evenings where I was occupied with things other than homesteading related things. Thursday, I went for another checkup of my eye. Now, you may remember earlier this year, I lost the central vision in my right eye, and I was um, very worried that it might not come back. My doctor was worried that it might not come back. And I got a great report on Thursday. They said that it is totally dried up. My vision in that eye continues to improve. And so for that, I am I'm very, very grateful, very thankful. And my prayer is that it continues to uh, keep heading in the right direction. But when they dilate my eyes, it takes forever for my eyes to come back into focus. I think they did it like two or three o'clock in the afternoon. And it was like eight or nine o'clock at night. My vision was still blurry. Now, my wife, she can get her eyes dilated, jump in the car and drive home. I can't. I have to keep my eyes closed while we're moving because I get motion sickness because my eyes 
are trying so hard to get into focus that, uh, yeah, it just, it, it wears me out. So Thursday, I didn't get as much done in the garden as I had hoped, but eventually my eyesight did clear up enough where I could work on a, a new experiment for me. And that is that I am making kohlrabi kraut. Now, kohlrabi is, if you're not familiar with it, and a lot of people aren't, it's a vegetable that's a part of the brassica family. It actually grows a bulb above the ground that usually ends up being about softball size when you pick it. Now, there are some varieties that will let you get a little bit of a bigger bulb without getting without it getting woody on you. But generally speaking, you want about softball size when you pick it. I had a lot of kohlrabi this year. It came on kind of all at the same time. And so I decided that I was going to try making kohlrabi kraut. And so I shredded it up using our KitchenAid mixer with the shredder attachment. I absolutely love that thing. Certainly have not given it as much use as what we should have. And I'm on a mission to change that. But uh, I ended up making three different versions of kohlrabi kraut. I made one that's just kohlrabi. I made another one that's kohlrabi and carrot. And then I made a third one that's kohlrabi carrot. And I tossed in some Thai chili peppers to add a little bit of spice. And so I'm doing those in mason jars. I've got some of those pickle pipes, which are kind of these rubber tops that have a little bit of a hole in them to let the gases escape as the fermentation process takes place. And so we'll let them sit for a while. And uh, once they get to the correct, well, I don't know what the correct amount of sour and crunch is, but I think I'll know it when I taste it. <laughs> we'll give it a whirl. But I absolutely love sauerkraut. I have found that um, lacto-fermented things like sauerkraut and kombucha are great for my, my digestive system. So several years ago, I was diagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome, and they wanted me to start taking a probiotic pill. And I do not like to take pills. So I came home and started doing some research. And I found out about lacto-fermentation, which is going to be the topic for our charting the course segment today. So we'll talk about it a little bit more there. But once I discovered that, I made a batch of sauerkraut. And when it was ready, I ate it. And literally, it cleared up my problems. And anytime since then, when I've started to have a little bit of an issue, I've gone ahead and whipped up some sauerkraut or got some kombucha, um, something like that to kind of put that old gut back in line. And um, so anyhow, I'm adding kohlrabi kraut to the list of possible additions to my rotation of lacto-fermented vegetables. Today, I'm, I'm actually recording this on Saturday. Uh, usually I record these on Sundays, but um, for a number of reasons, I'm doing this recording on Saturday. Uh, today, my wife and I and our son went raspberry picking. So last year, the fall raspberry crop just never came on. And I was unable to make raspberry jam last year, which just broke my heart because raspberry jam is my favorite. So we went picking today. And my goal was for us to pick eight pounds of raspberries. I figured with eight pounds of raspberries, I'd have enough to make two batches of raspberry jam, and one batch of raspberry hot pepper. Well, we actually ended up picking, I think, 11 pounds. 
or maybe even more than that. I don't know. It was insane, but we picked a lot of raspberries today. And then I came home and found, well, I didn't find, I knew I was running short on jelly jars, but I can't find any anywhere. I went to a number of different stores. I, my wife made some phone calls. We looked on websites and in our local area right now, I am struggling to find jelly jars. So I was only able to make one batch of raspberry jam and one batch of raspberry hot pepper jam. But the good thing is I can take those raspberries, put them in the freezer. And so when I either find some jars at the store or I free up enough jars because we've eaten enough jam that I'll have enough jars to make another batch of raspberry jam. I'll be able to pull those berries out of the freezer and go ahead and make raspberry jam. And we have plenty of raspberries left over for us to make raspberry pies or tarts or whatever. I love raspberries. I love raspberry flavor. And so, so excited to have those in the freezer but I had forgotten how big of a pain in the butt it is to pick raspberries because I haven't done it in a while, but we got it done. And I'm very happy to have some raspberry jam in the pantry. One last thing. Yesterday, we had another litter of pigs born here on the farm. Now, this was unplanned. This was the product of my boar going over two fences to get to the sow sage. And so yesterday she farrowed. We have four baby pigs here on the farm. I don't know the mixture as far as males and females. I started to take a look today, but they were squealing. She was getting a little agitated. And so I just backed off and we'll try it another day. But four is a small litter. And so I probably will breed her back again in the spring. We'll see how she does then what the litter size is. I like six to eight. And so she may need to be retired. And I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do because I am not running the old age home for retired pigs. <laughs> but I also am not up to eating her. I don't think I'm not to say I can't, but I don't want to. It's amazing how attached you get to the breeding stock. So I'm not quite sure what the next step is going to be, but we will cross that bridge when we get there. I'll breed her again in the, in the spring. We'll see what the litter size is, and then we'll kind of go from there. But that's what we've been up to here on 3B Farm and Homestead. A busy week here on the homestead, and I hope things are well wherever you are at. On today's Charting the Course, we're going to be talking about lacto-fermentation. As I was trying to come up with a topic for this week's episode, I really, really was struggling because this week, with all that's been going on with regards to some of the political stuff, as well as the fact that today is 9-11, my head just has not been in the homesteading game. But as I was putting together the notes for the homestead happenings, I got to thinking about my kohlrabi kraut. And I thought, you know, I have not talked about lacto-fermentation, at least in depth. I don't believe I've dedicated an entire episode to the topic. 
So why not tonight? So what is lacto-fermentation? Lacto-fermentation is a natural means of food preservation where the lactobacilli convert natural sugars into lactic acid, which is a natural means of food preservation. Now, this can be done with a lot of different things, not just vegetables. Actually, meat can be lacto-fermented. Milk can be lacto-fermented, producing yogurt and kefir. And the list could go on and on and on. But today, we're really going to focus on the lacto-fermentation of vegetables. Before we dive into it, though, I did want to talk a little bit about the difference between pickling and fermentation. There is some overlap between the two, but they're two slightly different means of food preservation. They both achieve nice tangy results, tangy tasty results, but it is two different processes to get there. Pickling involves submerging the vegetables in some kind of an acidic brine, generally speaking, a vinegar, and then using heat to process those vegetables and to kill the bad bacteria. Fermentation, on the other hand, actually allows the natural process that I described earlier to produce that sour flavor. No additional acid is required. Now, there are benefits to both means of food preservation. If you pickle something and process it in a canner, it's going to store longer. It's going to be more shelf stable than something that is lacto-fermented. But the texture of the vegetable is going to be affected. The taste of the vegetable is going to be different. And you are not going to have the good bacteria, the live cultures, available to you because the process of canning will kill those off. So the benefits of lacto-fermentation is that you have something that is a bit crunchier. It's got a little bit of a nicer texture, at least in my opinion. Um, and certainly you do have access to the good bacteria that can really, really help your gut health. And it's those good bacteria that actually led me to lacto-fermentation because it was through a lacto-fermented food, sauerkraut, that I was able to heal my gut um, and really deal with the irritable bowel syndrome issues that I had been diagnosed with. Lacto-fermentation is something that it sounds very complicated, but it's something that's really, really, really easy to do. Now, for many people, the term lacto-fermentation is a scary one. It just sounds really, really complicated. And when we start talking about chemical reactions and lactobacilli converting natural sugars into lactic acid, people kind of have a flashback, I think, to their days in chemistry in high school. They panic and say, no, no, that ain't for me. But it's one of the oldest and it's one of the easiest means of food preservation, in my opinion. It does not require any kind of specialized equipment. Now, there's some special things that you can buy that definitely will make your life easier when it comes to uh, fermenting vegetables, but certainly all you need is some kind of a non-reactive container and salt and water and vegetables, and sometimes you don't even need the water. 
Things like cabbage, you shred it up, put a bit of salt on it, massage it with your hands. It starts releasing its own water. And many times it releases enough water that the water from the cabbage itself is all that you need in concert with the salt to start the process and make the most delicious sauerkraut you will ever, ever have. For many people, their entry into lacto-fermentation is making sauerkraut in a mason jar. And it's really, really easy to do. So if you're interested in lacto-fermentation, I would highly recommend that you try that. Google making sauerkraut in a mason jar. There's tons of recipes out there. And all you need is a head of cabbage. It doesn't have to be organic. You can buy a regular one from the store. You take the outer leaves off, you shred it up, put a little bit of salt on it, massage it, put it into a mason jar so that it's covered by the brine. And then you want to save one of those leaves that you took off from the outside to kind of put over the top to hold everything under the brine, because that way no mold's going to build up. You put a lid on it, screw it down and set it on your kitchen table. Once a day, you burp it. In other words, you just crack open that to relieve some of the pressure and you let it set. And then after a couple of days, you get a fork, you just take a little bit of that sauerkraut and you taste it. And you see, is it tangy enough? Is it crunchy enough? And then when you get it to where you like it, you eat it. It's that simple. You can store it in your fridge or you can store it in a cool, dark place. That'll slow the fermentation process down. It's not going to last as long as if you were to can it. Some people will can it. I don't like to can it because it makes it mushy and it kills all the good bacteria, but some people will do that. But it's really, really easy to do. And again, it does not require any kind of specialized equipment. As far as the salt goes, you're not going to want to use iodized salt. So you'll want to either use like a canning or pickling salt or a kosher salt. You can use Himalaya salt, anything without iodine in it, and you'll be fine. You'll be good to go. Um, and that's all you need. Now, if you're going to do it in the mason jars, there's a couple of other things that will make your life easier. I would recommend getting some of the uh, glass pucks that you drop in and will hold the vegetables under the brine. And then I would also recommend getting what they call pickle pipes or something along those lines. There's a bunch of different versions out there, but really what they are, it's a rubber top that sits on the mason jar that has a slit in it to help release the gases. That just means that you don't have to keep burping the jar every day or a couple times a day. Both of those things will make your life easier. You could also get, get airlocks which function the same way. What that does is it allows the gases to escape, but no air to get in, which just will help keep the mold from taking root and ruining your vegetables. But that's all there is to it, folks. Lacto-fermentation is really, really easy. If you're interested at all in, in more information on this, in my opinion, the best book on the topic was written by Sandor Katz. It's called The Art of Fermentation. It's a really thick book, but it's a really easy and fun read. And it just really dives into every possible way that you can ferment. Kind of, he shares his story 
um, some health issues he was having, how lacto-fermentation helped cure some of the issues that he was dealing with. So if you're somebody who struggles with leaky gut or IBS or anything like that, any kind of a gut-related problem, I'm not a doctor, so don't take this as prescriptive, but at least look into lacto-fermentation because it could be of great benefit to you and help you get your gut healed and heading in the right direction. I know that it worked for me. I know that it was very helpful to me. And so it may work wonders for you as well. So definitely check out The Art of Fermentation. Um, it's not a cheap book, but I, in my opinion, definitely well worth it. But you may be able to find it through your local uh, library. That's how I got a hold of a copy. I need to buy one and get it in my library. Um, but certainly I highly recommend that. Lots and lots of websites dedicated to making sauerkraut in a mason jar. So you should be able to find those. Um, and try it out. Easy peasy. And I think once you head down that rabbit hole, then the next thing you're going to be doing is maybe making kimchi. And then someday you may find yourself like me making kohlrabi kraut. I don't know if I'm going to like it, but I had a lot of fun making it. It's probably going to be good for me. We'll see. I'll keep you posted. All right, folks, any questions, definitely hit me up. And I'll try to answer the questions and point you in the right direction. But those are my thoughts, scattered as they may be, on lacto-fermentation, what it is, why it's good for you, and how you can get started. We'll catch you later. Brian can be reached by emailing him at brian at thehomesteadjourney.net or by contacting him via our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you've enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support this podcast, we invite you to become a member of the Supporting Listeners Program. For $10 a month or $100 per year, you will receive access to a community of like-minded individuals via a private Facebook group, at least one monthly live Q&A with Brian, the opportunity to participate in live recordings of the podcast, access to an ever-expanding library of helpful homesteading content, and so much more. Head on over to support.thehomesteadjourney.net for more information and to sign up today. As always, the music on this episode was provided by audionautics.com. So a big shout out to them. And until next time, everybody, keep up the good work.